Well, good morning again. It's a good day, right? Thanks for being here this weekend, this Labor Day weekend, and not uh, leaving town. Appreciate you being here. That's always a good thing. Uh, you could have left town. That would have been fine, too, but I'm glad you're here. So uh, Today we are in our final uh, message in the Summer Psalms series, because summer is running out, and it's September. Is, it, is summer it's, it's not officially over, right? So when does that happen where fall officially begins? I heard like 10 numbers. What was that? <laughs> September something. 20, okay. <laughs> Third week in September. We'll go with that. And, uh, <laughs> and uh, we've been in the Summer Psalm series since June the, the 6th. That's uh, three months in one series together. You guys feel pretty good about that? That's, that's pretty cool, right? Three months. Uh, we could have gone 150 weeks with the Psalms, and uh, that would have been a real series there, but uh, we decided not to. So been three months. We hope that in this series, it's, there have been some real uh, eye-openers, uh, hopefully some things that really stood out to you uh, here and there. Uh, I know that you know, every week, you know, God's speaking something, but sometimes we get a little bit more out of one week than the other. And so we do hope that, uh, that you've gotten some things out of this and the Lord's been speaking to you uh, in this series. So uh, today I uh, selected as our final uh, psalm, Psalm 116 that we're going to be in. And so uh, if you have your Bible, you can open it to that. Open up your Bible app on your phone if you're joining us online. Uh, open up your Bible if you would. And, uh, and we're going to get to that in just a second. Psalm 116. When a, a pastor uh, says, uh, you know, hey, tr open up your Bible to this, it, it, you know, less and less pages turn these days, you know. <laughs> it's, more, it's more like just this, you know, silence. But, uh, but it's always kind of cool to hear a page turn too, right? So this uh, Psalm 116 is in uh, a grouping of psalms known as the Egyptian Hallel Psalms, uh, which consist of Psalm 113 up to, uh, through Psalm 118. Now, these psalms, if you look them up and read about it, they would, uh, would have been sung by the Jewish people on holidays and festivals, uh, including the Passover meal, which is kind of a cool uh, idea if you think about it because it's almost a, a certainty that Jesus and his disciples would have sang these psalms uh, in the upper room before Jesus was arrested. And so this is a specific psalm that we can say, well, this, you know, most likely... This is a psalm that Jesus sung uh, before going out, leaving uh, that room. So that's kind of cool. Um, we don't necessarily know who the author of this psalm is. Uh, some say it was David. Some say it was Hezekiah. Uh, and both went through seasons or times in their lives that, that uh, you know, there's, could, could show reason to believe that. But the reality of it is we just really don't know uh, who the author was. And, uh, and whoever it was, here's what we do know, whoever it was wrote this psalm as a response of praise to God for saving his life from a near-death experience. So it's a very personal psalm uh, from a very personal experience, yet Ultimately, this psalm would have been used in the public setting, obviously, but uh, to give thanks to God. 
Now, there is a reason I specifically chose this psalm, and uh, it touches on uh, an important topic, right? An important topic that we don't necessarily like to talk about or choose to talk about uh, a lot in church, um, or really in general, but it uh, touches on the topic of death and our mortality. And that's an important thing to talk about. That's an important thing for us to consider. And, uh, and so here's what I want to do. I want to pray, and I want to jump right into it. But let me just also say, it talks about other things, not just death and mortality. So don't get up and leave during the prayer. And, uh, you know, stick around. Uh, it's good. And so uh, let's pray, and then we're going to jump right into it, okay? Father, thank you for this day. Thank you that... Today is the day that you've made. God, we're going to walk it out, and, and the things that come, we're going to trust you. We're going to trust you with today, no matter what. God, we pray that we would be people who have open ears, receptive uh, minds and ears to hear your word, uh, that we would have an open and receptive heart, God, to receive uh, your word uh, for what it is, and it's the truth that we can uh, stand firm on. And so we're grateful for that, Lord. May your word today find a home in our minds and hearts. And we pray this together in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right, so number one, we're going to st- jump right into it. Like I said, the uh, first thing that we can find in here is that God hears and answers his children's prayers. Verses 1 through 4, if you've got your Bible open or if you're following along, it's on the screen as well. Verses 1 through 4, uh, the psalmist writes, I love the Lord. Because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy, because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. The snares of death encompassed me. The pangs of Sheol laid hold on me. I suffered distress and anguish. Then I called on the name of the Lord. O Lord, I pray, deliver my soul." The psalmist knew that he could not trust uh, in himself for rescue. Amen? Right? He knew that he couldn't trust uh, in other people that were around him for his rescue. And he knew and writes about how Sheol was at hand, right? Does anybody know what Sheol was? You know, maybe you're asking, what is Sheol? And, uh, and so in Old Testament writings, Sheol was kind of known as the place of death or the place of the dead. And so that's what they referred to, right? So the snares of death encompassed the psalmist. In his own strength, he could see no way out of his situation. He was weak. He was frail in body, being close to death. And maybe, and here's, here's what I think about this when I read that. He was mentally, there was this, uh, he was in sorrow in his apprehension about the future, right? He had an apprehension about the future because it was uncertain. You know, as I was putting this together, the Lord kind of, I, I wrote that line and, and uh, I typed it out. And, he, you know, the Lord really spoke to me uh, about my uncle. And so I'm going to talk just briefly about him. Uh, my uncle Bill, um, years years back, probably 2000 uh, or 2001, somewhere in there, but uh, he was diagnosed with cancer. 
and walked through a season of life with cancer. And, um, and it was really wearing on him, and he was beginning to also uh, kind of wear away, and, and he was frail. And I remember he was, you know, they would come down and stay with my parents a lot of times here in Tigard, and they lived in Idaho, so they'd come down and uh, stick around. And so we'd go over there and see them at times. And, and I remember one specific time, and it stands out to me uh, so vividly, uh, walked in, he, he went into the room, he was tired, he went in, laid down, and, uh, and so I, I kind of went in there and sat down in a chair next to him, and I was talking to him. And, uh, and he began to talk about how, um, he began to talk about how, about his, his sickness, and about how, you know, the reality of it was, he was okay with whatever came uh, for him. He was okay with that. Whatever comes, comes. He was confident in his relationship with Jesus, right? His security in Jesus. And yet as he began to talk to me a little bit about it, he was apprehensive about the future because he knew that there was a good chance that that cancer would take him. And ultimately, he, he was apprehensive about the future because he said, I'm okay with whatever happens to me. But it's my kids and my grandkids. And I remember him just talking about, about how he was apprehensive about the future because of that. It wasn't about him. But he looked ahead and he saw, you know, his kids and grandkids. And, and he would probably see them with a future that he wasn't in. And that, and that probably begin to wear on him a little bit, but he was apprehensive as he looked forward. And I got to thinking about this, and I just, I just got to thinking, look, have you ever been there? You know, maybe not in my uncle's exact situation, but still in deep sorrow with little hope and apprehensive about what the future would hold. So distraught about a situation that you knew you couldn't do anything to change it, you couldn't do anything to change it yourself. You know, deep trouble, deep sorrow. And I don't know, maybe, maybe you're in that place even here today. I don't know what all is going on in your lives. Maybe you're in that place today, deep trouble and deep sorrow. But here's what Spurgeon writes. He says, real trouble produces real prayer. Have you ever noticed that in life? Real trouble produces real prayer. I think sometimes we neglect prayer until real trouble comes our way. I, I, I have to say, the, the older I get, the more your best life ever sermons, books, podcasts, they just don't do it for me. I don't know about you, but those types of things just don't do it for me anymore, right? The cheerleader books, the rah-rah things, they just don't do it for me anymore because real life has real trouble. And uh, what I've noticed in life is that the troubles that we walk through foster the deepest times of prayer in our lives. Maybe you've noticed that too. Maybe you've noticed that. It's that 
those times of trouble that ultimately bring us to our knees. Seeking God, right? Real trouble. That overwhelming, reoccurring burden that whatever it is of some sort in your life. And that could be a lot of things. You know, maybe that doctor's test results come back. Maybe that conversation with your spouse that leaves you shattered and broken. As I wrote those words, the lyrics to a Matt Kearney song. Does anybody know who Matt Kearney is, right? The lyrics of his song came to me from, uh, I used to listen to him a lot, but the song Closer to Love. And the lyrics go, she got the call today, one out of the gray. And when the smoke cleared, it took her breath away. She said she didn't believe it could happen to me. I guess we're all one phone call from our knees. I think there's a lot of truth to that. Don't you? Maybe we should thank God for the times that bring us to our knees in prayer rather than trying to escape them immediately. God will use these times to bring us closer to Him they cause us to cry out to him. They bring us to a place where we hit the floor on our knees, calling out to him like the psalmist did, right? We have a tendency in our world today to bad things happen and we want to escape it immediately. God, take me out of this situation. Move me out of this situation. And there are times that he will take us out of that situation. But what if he doesn't? I remember, I remember uh, my wife Kim following a, a blog of a, of a lady, a, a, again, a, another woman who had cancer and was walking through this, uh, these months that she had. And, and I remember she was using the last few months of her life really to write down all of the things that God was speaking and showing her in the midst of all of this. And I think to myself sometimes, like, what if we did that? What if more people did that? What if we didn't want to escape bad things so quickly? What if when trouble came, we didn't want to escape it so quickly, but we were in it and we were on our knees and we were asking God, what do you want to do with this? What do you want to show me in this? What do you want to speak to me? And not only that, not only what do you want to do in me, but how can I model this true faith in Jesus, even in the midst of trouble? Because that's what real faith does. It stands strong even in the faith, or even in the face of trouble and difficulty. Amen? In verse 4, the psalmist states, he, he writes here, O Lord, deliver my soul. Deliver my soul. You know, the, this, prayer, this was his prayer. O Lord, deliver my soul. Right? He didn't write a book about uh, you know about his prayer he didn't go for go on for uh, hours uh, on in you know coming up with some long prayer he just said oh lord deliver my soul it was delivered directly it was delivered passionately and it was delivered humbly right directly it was quick and to the point it was passionate because he knew he couldn't do anything in and of his own strength and it was delivered humbly because once again it didn't rely on him he was relying on God. And so now, in this psalm, we go back to 
verses 1 and 2, and we see what happened as he cried out to God, as he cried out to the Lord. Here's what he says. I love the Lord because he has heard my voice and my pleas for mercy. Because he inclined his ear to me, therefore I will call on him as long as I live. So the Lord heard his voice, the psalmist says. The Lord inclined his ear and the Lord rescued him. Therefore, what does the psalmist say? He has no other response than, I love the Lord, right? I love the Lord. And so I just want to ask you, husbands, have, have your, has your wife ever asked you, why do you love me? Any husbands out here, there, has your wife ever asked you, why do you love me? And I'm here to say that maybe today that question could be the kiss of death for many of you. I don't know. I don't know. Maybe it could be. You know, not because we don't love our wives or you don't love your wife, but maybe putting it to words isn't something that you've uh, spent a lot of time doing. Maybe you thought, well, you know, when we went to the church and got married, I told you I love you. You know, shouldn't that be enough? You know, told you once, you should know that. The reality of it is maybe we should spend some time as husbands thinking about that, you know. Why do I love my wife? Well, there are a lot of reasons probably, but if you can't put it to words, maybe you should spend some time doing that because she might ask you. And because this got brought up today, she might ask you today. <laughs> so think about it. But I think the same might be true of our love for God, don't you? Why do we love God? Why do we love God? You know, has anybody ever asked you that? Why do you love God? And then I wonder if we have reasons for our faith and for our love of God. Maybe that's what we need to do is, is be sure and be certain of those reasons and able to communicate those reasons. One great reason that, like the psalmist experience, is because God heard his prayers and relieved his suffering. And therefore, the psalmist states that he will call on God as long as he lives. Isn't that great? That's our response to God. When he answers our prayers, we do know, like, this is our response. I love you, and I'm going to call on you for the rest of my life. I'm going to lean on you for the rest of my life. Number two, God is merciful and gracious. Verses 5 through 11, God is merciful and gracious. Gracious is the Lord and righteous. Our God is merciful. The Lord preserves the simple. When I was brought low, he saved me. Return, O my soul, to your rest, for the Lord has dealt bountifully with you. For you have delivered my soul from death, my eyes from tears, my feet from stumbling. I will walk before the Lord in the land of the living. I believed even when I spoke, I am greatly afflicted. And I said in my alarm, all mankind are liars. We'll get to that. Now, the psalmist knows the nature of God, that God is gracious in nature, right? He's righteous in his dealings with men. He's merciful to those who call upon his name. You know, sometimes I wonder if we've come to a place where we're so independent that we don't have this sense anymore of calling on his name. He refers to the simple ones here, right? The simple ones he refers to are people who have a childlike faith, a childlike faith. And I wonder sometimes, could it be that we've gotten too big for our britches today? 
Could it be? Have we gotten too big for those britches? I don't know. I just love that word, britches. So I'll say it a few times. Could it be that we think we have all the answers and that we're so much smarter than those who have gone before us, walked this faith journey before us? Could it be that we think we know, that we have the answers, that we know better? And so to echo Virginia Slim's, the cigarette slogan from years past, we've come a long way, baby, right? We've come a long way, baby, right? I think it's in, the slogan is actually, you've come a long way, baby, but I'll just fill it in. We've come a long way, baby. That's kind of what came to my mind. And there's a problem with this. The problem is I'm not sure that it's been in the best direction. I'm not sure that we've gone. I think the guy who was put in charge of making sure that it was in a good direction maybe fell asleep or something. I don't know. Did anyone stop to think and ask the question, are we going in the right direction? This reminds me of the great American cinema classic, Dumb and Dumber. (laughs) Driving from Providence, Rhode Island to Aspen, Colorado. And Lloyd takes the wrong turn because he's not paying attention, right? He's not paying attention and he takes the wrong turn and he ends up in Nebraska rather than in Colorado. And they ultimately go a sixth of the way across America in the wrong direction. Now, maybe you've seen that movie too. It's top three for me. But, but I wonder, you know, are we going in the right direction? And maybe it's time to have a return to a childlike faith, a simple faith, right? The world esteems those with simple childlike faith as foolish, right? But remember this scripture used by an extremely well-learned uh, man, the Apostle Paul, to the Corinthian church. And in 1 Corinthians 1.27, he says, God chose that, uh, what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. So be careful to be meek and to not lean on your own understanding because the Lord preserves the simple is what the psalmist says. James Montgomery Boyce maybe put it best. Here's what he, he wrote. He, he writes, Not only is God gracious, He is also gracious in the, uh, to the little people, to the plain, the commoners, to the everyday person on the bus or in the shop, to people like the psalmist. That is one of the, greatest, uh, the great glories of our God. When Jesus called His disciples, He called fishermen and tax collectors. When the angels announced the birth of Jesus, they appeared to who? Is that on the screen? Shepherds, yeah. Appeared to shepherds, right? So, it's the plain, it's the simple. God has used that all throughout time. The psalmist also knows that he will walk with the Lord in the land of the living. He has a renewed strength for what's ahead, a renewed strength for the future. And I wonder if you've ever experienced this type of feeling, right? A renewed hope. Rather than an apprehension about the future, there's an anticipation for the future, for what lies ahead. How good it is when the Lord opens a way forward that is refreshing and life-giving to us. Amen? The psalmist spoke words in haste against other people too, right? He writes here, in my haste he spoke. Right? In my haste, I spoke, all men are liars, basically. And 
well, you know, this is true to some extent because we're just humans, and so, you know, we're not perfect. Uh, all people fall short, but the psalmist states that this was spoken in his haste, which tells us something about this, that he may have regretted speaking something hastily uh, in his suffering and in his pain and in, his, in this time. Have any of you ever experienced that from, or maybe been that, <laughs> in the midst of something that that's, uh, hurts, in the midst of something, you know, a trying time, right? Have you ever spoken harsh words uh, and then regretted it or been spoken to harshly? But you know that, look, it's just because these, this person is walking through something difficult or maybe I spoke it because I was walking through something difficult and you regretted that. He probably regretted speaking these words. As Spurgeon writes, speaking in haste is generally followed by bitter repentance. It is much better to be quiet when our spirit is disturbed and hasty, for it is so much easier to say than to unsay. We may repent of our words, but we cannot so recall them as to undo the mischief they have done. Well, that's a hard one, and that's a real truth. So, we may do well to take our thoughts and our feelings to the Lord first and then sit on them for a while as He speaks to us about them. Amen? God is merciful and gracious, and so let's be like Him. Number three, God holds His children precious. God holds His children precious. Verses 12 through 15. What shall I render to the Lord for all His benefits to me? I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on, his, on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. The psalmist wonders what return he could make to God in gratitude for this. And so if you actually, uh, you can look it up later, but in Leviticus 3, uh, it talks about this thank offering. And so he brought this thank offering, the psalmist did to the Lord. And as part of this offering, uh, wine was poured out onto an altar as a symbol uh, of the psalmist's life being poured out to serve the Lord. And Paul talks about that too in the New Testament, right? Being poured out as a drink offering. Right? There would also be a feast where the psalmist would have his friends and his family and they would, uh, they would publicly thank God for his mercies and then following that, the psalmist would continue to walk those things out and live those vows and promises that he made uh, publicly in worship. See, to God, the death of his people is precious. Right, The death of his people is precious. While the psalmist celebrates deliverance from death, and amen for that, he knew death was still a reality and is still a reality for all of God's people. And let me just say, the numbers on this are staggering. 100% of people die. That is a super high number. Staggering, isn't it? But when that day comes, God holds their death as a precious and meaningful thing. Again, James Montgomery Boyce puts it like this. God is particularly close to his people when they stand at death's door. God watches over his people when they are sick or dying, coming close to them and making his presence known so that they, may, uh, so that they have comfort in death's hour. He also frequently intervenes and does not allow them to perish. But in either case, the Lord does what is best. The word precious here points to God caring deeply 
about the lives of his children and not taken lightly. He does not take it lightly. God cares deeply when his children go through suffering and trials and sickness and he's aware of their situation and he comes close to their aid. You know, I, uh, years ago, in, when my uncle passed away, it was in like 2000, 2001, I can't remember exactly. My grandmother passed away at the same time, uh, my mom's mother. And I remember, I used to go play basketball on Monday nights uh, when I was in my mid-twenties. And, uh, and that's what basketball is for, people in their mid-twenties. <laughs> when, when you're nearing 50, you know, you, you don't go play basketball like you did uh, so much. But, but I used to go b- play basketball on Mondays uh, with my brother-in-law. And uh, I re- one Monday night is when we played. I decided not to go. And so we went over to my parents' house and we hung out at their house for a little bit and my grandmother wasn't doing well. And, uh, and she passed away that night. And, um, and it was a Monday night. And I remember, I remember we were sitting with her. Uh, we were all kind of, you know, I don't know, a few of us, a part of the family were in there. And we were sitting with her, and she was laying down on bed. And, and I remember holding her hand. Uh, and for some reason, I don't know, I got position A, and I got to hold her hand and be right there with her. And I remember... Uh, I remember sitting there and, and cracking stupid jokes, and she did her best to laugh at them even. I was like, what? It wasn't even funny, right? And, and so, but I remember sitting there and holding her hand and wondering what, maybe what she was seeing and what she was sensing. Her eyes were closed, and she'd give a little laugh when I would say something stupid. But I still remember her trying her best, right, to, to laugh at those uh, stupid attempts, but... Uh, as I watched her continue to breathe, it was getting harder and harder, and, and she had such a sense of calm and peace about her. That's what I remember about that night. And that in the midst of her final moments, do you think God was caring for her deeply? I do. He was caring for her and giving her everything she needed in those final moments as he took her home. And truly, I believe God does this with all of his people, with all of his saints, his family, in whatever their final moments might look like. Have you ever wondered, you know, were they at peace? Were they not at peace? Let me just tell you, if if they were part of his family, then they had peace, and he cared for them. Because their lives and their trials and their sickness and their suffering all mattered to him. Of course he would come to their aid in their final moments. Amen? So we have to keep that in mind. For God's saints, death is not the end. As the German theologian Dietrich Bonhoeffer and Pastor Dietrich Bonhoeffer spoke, these were the last words before he was hung at the Nazi concentration camp. This is for me the end, the beginning of life. Powerful words, right? What powerful words. This is for me the end, but the beginning of life, right? Now he was really living. The fourth thing we find in here, is that God is faithful to his covenant. God is faithful to his covenant. 
verses 16 through 19. Say, O Lord, he, he writes, O Lord, I am your servant. I am your servant, the son of your maidservant. You have loosed my bonds. I will offer to you the sacrifice of thanksgiving and call on the name of the Lord. I will pay my vows to the Lord in the presence of all his people, in the courts of the house of the Lord. In your midst, O Jerusalem, praise the Lord. The psalmist says, I am your servant. I am your servant. He's saying, I'm part. I, I, I like, like, I am a son of the covenant of God. I'm your servant. Essentially, I'm part, I, I'm, I'm your family, God. Dedicated to God's service with gratitude and thanksgiving. Today, God's children enter into his family through a new covenant, right? One provided by the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus Christ. And scripture is clear that there's one way to God. There's one way to true eternal life. And that's through Jesus Christ and being made a new creation through him. It's the only way. Now the question that comes to mind on this is, are you in his family? Are you a new creation? And do you know God in the ways that we've talked about today, that the psalmist wrote about today? And maybe more importantly is, does he know you in these ways? See, Jesus is the one who makes the way for us. He truly is the one who makes the way for us. And maybe you would say today that you need that way to be made. Will you pray with me? Father, today I see you maybe like I've never seen you before. That you are not a distant God who stays far from us, but you are a close God that comes near and comforts us, speaks to us, stays with us. We're so thankful for that. We are grateful to you, God. We are grateful to you. Now here's the deal. Today, you know, just keep your eyes closed and, and, and the reality of it is maybe today if you need that way to be made for you through Jesus, maybe today's the day that you will say, Jesus, I need you. I need that way made. This is what I want. I want to be part of God's family. And maybe today's the day for you to say, I'm going to surrender myself to Jesus as the only way to eternal life. And if you're in-house here or if you're watching online and today's the day, here's, here's what it really and simply is. It's a matter of simply coming before God and saying, Jesus, I need you. I'm surrendering my life to you. And, and here's the thing. 
You don't have to be perfect at that moment, but He will guide you and lead you. If you are truly surrendering your life to Him, He will lead you and He will guide you in His ways as you get into His Word and as you get around uh, those people who will help sharpen you, right? God's family, that's what we're here for, is to sharpen each other. And today could be that day that you are adopted into God's family through the work of Jesus Christ, His death, burial, and resurrection. And if that's you today, I want you to write it on a communication card. Let us know. If you're online, I want you to send a message letting us know that you are giving your life to Jesus today. And we're here for you. We'll help you walk this out. Whatever we can do to help resource those uh, for you, to resource that for you, we will do it. We will do it. God, thank you. You are gracious and merciful and good. He is so good, isn't he? He does make the way where there isn't any other way. And maybe you've looked ahead and you're like, I don't know. I'm apprehensive about the future. Trust in Him. Trust in Him. Well, listen, I want to say thanks for being here today. And you can either keep standing or you sit down if you want. I'm about to go into my second sermon. And so, just kidding. But thank you for being here today. You know, I want to talk for just a minute uh, about our Carlton services uh, this past summer. Right as we come into the fall, you know, we can look back on the summer, and I know there were some great services here, uh, and and we were out in Carlton a number of times. And I just want to say, like, there is such a great team of people that came together to give of their time and give of their talents and efforts. Whatever that is, what, whatever that is, right? Like, it's not just about the guy who's up front speaking, right? Like, that guy doesn't mean much, all right? So it's more about those who help make everything happen, right? Sometimes we look at the speaker or something, and we oh, man, they're the worship leader, and we've got a great worship team here. And musically, it, things are so good. And yet, it's about everybody that takes part in it. And so many people have the gift of helps, Right? And they can jump in and help. I mean, I'm telling you, I saw people setting up chairs. And setting up chairs is like hell, right? I mean, it's, it's almost like being in Hades and Sheol, you know? Chairs, chairs. You dream about chairs afterwards. You know, the reality of it is, like, we had people jump in and set up chairs every week and carry, you know, super heavy bases for these trusses that we stand up and, and, you know, just give of their time and go around and set up banners, you know, in town and, and signage in town and, and talk to people and invite them to the service and stuff. And you know what's super cool is to see God's people use their gifts, right, for whatever we're doing. And I'm just, let me just say, you might want to sit down. I got a while here. No, it's okay. I'll try to keep this brief. But the reality of it is when God's people use their gifts, right, we all win. And if that's helping, if that's setting up, if you have a sound or media, if you sing or play an instrument or, or you know, if you're helping people park and, and, you know, making sure that that's organized. And I mean, 
It all matters. And we had an amazing team of people in Carlton doing all of this stuff every, every time we met, showing up at, you know, 8 o'clock, setting up. We even had uh, one individual come and help us set up, and then, uh, and then she came to, you know, to this uh, campus and service here, but she wanted to make sure to help us there, you know, set up and just be part of that. And it's such a great camaraderie that happens as well. And so I just want to highlight that and say, man, thank you all. Those of you who were there and helping it set up, and those of you who've been praying for those services, covering us in prayer and giving towards and Carlton and, and all of those things, thank you, because that doesn't happen without you. Do you know that? Come on. None of that happens without you. You matter. You're important. We have a prayer wall over here, and we're going to have uh, the couple tables over there. If you have something that you want to receive prayer for, hey, go over there. Pray with those people. They love to pray, and they would love to pray with you about whatever's going on in your life. Don't forget to connect with us via the texting, and that's such an easy way to connect and give and all those things. And so may God's grace and peace be with you abundantly today and this week. God bless you guys. We love you. Hey guys, this is Pastor Dave. I just wanted to say thank you for joining us today for this podcast. You know, at Family Life Church, our vision is to create a safe, authentic environment where people connect with Jesus. And we don't believe it's an accident that you joined us today. You know, if this message meant something to you, we would love to hear from you. You can connect with us on our website at myflc.org. Or you can also find us on Facebook and Instagram at Family Life Church Newburgh. And I invite you to subscribe to this podcast and you can listen regularly. And I just want to say thank you and God bless your week.